think that part of our fallen humanity is that we all dream about power and having power someday. Whether it's wanting to be rich and famous or um, thinking and daydreaming about being the king or the president or just being in authority. We think that being powerful means you get to tell other people what to do and not be told what to do. Wouldn't that be great? Well, it's really different in the kingdom of heaven. Jesus's economy is totally flipped upside down. I don't know if you've seen the movie Mary Poppins Returns, but in it, her cousin is um, like everything is topsy-turvy. What's up is down and what's down is up. Every Wednesday, her whole world flips upside down. And in a way, that's what Jesus is doing here. He's flipping the whole world upside down for his disciples who, like us, are dreaming about being in power someday, wanting to to be sitting at the right hand and the left hand of Jesus ruling in his kingdom someday. And Jesus flips it all upside down. Let's find out how today. I'm so glad that you joined me on Audacious Arrows, where we're becoming recklessly bold men and women of faith through the power of God's word. Well, in our last episode, Jesus talked about that the first would be last and the last would be first. He gave that parable of the workers in the vineyard who were all paid the same amount, regardless of how long they had been there. Um, Their payment, their earnings weren't based on the amount of work that they had done. Um, It was based on the generosity of the king. So it was already flipped upside down to how most things in this life work. Um, Typically, if you want something in this world, you have to work for it and earn it. Um, You have to work for your paycheck. You have to work for whatever it is you want. Um, Hard work earns things, and it's just different in God's kingdom. It's the opposite of what we think. Now, last time, Jesus also talked to his disciples about um, ruling with him. In chapter 19, verse 28, Jesus said to his disciples, Truly I say to you, in the new world, when the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. Now that was specifically said to his disciples, but the principle of reigning with Christ is all throughout other places of Scripture as well. One example is in Second. Timothy chapter 2 verses 11 and 12 says the saying is trustworthy for if we have died with him that's Christ we will also live with him if we endure we will also reign with him so we will reign with Christ Well, what does that mean Um, from the very beginning of time when Adam was created he was created to rule over creation he was given the task of naming the animals, and that was an act of authority over creation. Um, That's what Adam and Eve were designed to do. And in the end, in heaven, we will reign over all creation with Christ. Uh, One good illustration of this, I think, is in the Chronicles of Narnia. So Peter, Susan, Edmund, and Lucy, in the end, all sit on four thrones in Care Paravel, and they rule over Narnia. Now, they are just the sole rulers. Aslan is still the king of kings and lord of lords, right, in that story and in, in the world of Narnia. Um, but they are, they are kind of under 
ruling and they're reigning over Narnia with him. And I think that's a good picture to help us understand um, what the Bible teaches about us reigning in heaven. Um, Jesus is King of Kings and Lord of Lords, but we will reign with him over all of creation. It's just this mind-boggling thought. And so if you desire to be a ruler or be an authority, well, it's promised in Scripture. Now, in our reading today, we're going to see that the way we get there is very different than the way you'd get there in this life. So the way you'd become president or king or the boss in this world is really, really different than the way that Jesus says that we become rulers in the new kingdom. We're also going to see Jesus talk to his disciples um, about the fact that he is heading towards Jerusalem and he will be crucified and raised again. And just by way of context, remember, this is the third time that he has talked to his disciples about this. So what does that mean that it's the third time he's talked to them about it? Why does he keep telling them? And we're going to meet the mother of the sons of Zebedee. The sons of Zebedee were James and John, two of the disciples. We're not talking about John the Baptist, but John the disciple. He was up on the Mount of Transfiguration, and he wrote the Gospel of John. And James, his brother, was up on the Mount of Transfiguration as well. So now that we have all of that context, let's dive in. We are starting in Matthew chapter 20, verse 17. So find in your Bible, Matthew 20, and then verse 17. And as Jesus was going up to Jerusalem, he took the twelve disciples aside. And on the way he said to them, See, we're going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified. And he will be raised on the third day. Then the mother of the sons of Zebedee came up to him with her sons, and kneeling before him, she asked him for something. And he said to her, What do you want? She said to him, Say that these two sons of mine are to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left, in your kingdom. Jesus answered, You do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I am to drink? They said to him, We are able. He said to them, You will drink my cup, but to sit at my right hand and at my left hand is not mine to grant, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared by my father. And when the ten heard it, they were indignant at the two brothers. But Jesus called them to him and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be the first among you must be your slave. Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. And as they went out of Jericho, a great crowd followed him. And behold, there were two blind men sitting by the roadside. And when they heard that Jesus was passing by, they cried out, Lord, have mercy on us, Son of David. The crowd rebuked them, telling them to be silent. But they cried out all the more, Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. And stopping, Jesus called them and said, What do you want me to do for you? They said to him, Lord, let our eyes be opened. And Jesus, in pity, touched their eyes, and immediately they recovered their sight and followed him. (music) 
Well, let's walk through what we just read and try to understand it a little bit better. So we start out with Jesus telling his disciples once again that he is heading to Jerusalem to be crucified and to raise to be raised again. Um, this is the third time that he has told them this. He started talking about this um, right after Peter had confessed. Um, he said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And after that conversation with Peter about building up his church, Um, that's when Jesus kind of started talking about the fact that he would be heading to Jerusalem to be crucified. And I think it's notable that Jesus has, um, he's very intentional about this. He is heading in a certain direction. Um, The Gospel of John says that he set his face like flint, like stone, kind of like he was determined that this this is where he's heading. So I think it's important because all along in the Bible here, Jesus has this in the back of his own mind. He knows what he is heading to do. He knows that he is heading to the cross to give his life as a ransom for many. So as he encounters people and talks to people and heals people and faces their brokenness, their pride, all of these things, in the back of Jesus' own mind is the fact that he is going to lay down his life for for all of these people that he is meeting. Okay, so then we meet the mother of the sons of Zebedee, and she's asking that her sons would be the ones that could sit at the right and left hand of Jesus in the new kingdom. And Jesus basically says, it's not for me to grant that, it's for my Father in heaven. Um, He does say that they will be identified with him in suffering when he talks about drinking the cup. Um, they're going to they're going to follow Jesus in suffering. They're not going to drink the cup of God's wrath. Only Jesus does that. But they are going to follow their um, the captain of their salvation through suffering, and they will be in the new kingdom, um, reigning over all of creation. We know that from other verses in the Bible. But what's what's Jesus's point here? I think he gets at the heart of it in verse twenty five. He says, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and their great ones exercise authority over them. So think about the way a king or a ruler um, lords it over people. Maybe they're tyrannical. They can boss people around. Um, They act like a king. They act like they are the greatest. Um, And maybe it's right for them to do that in in some ways. But Jesus says in verse 26, it shall not be so among you. So what he doesn't want is he doesn't want his disciples acting like kings right now. Yes, they will rule with him one day. He's just told them in two chapters ago that they would sit on 12 thrones judging the tribes of Israel with him. But he doesn't want them to lord that authority over other people right now. What does he want? He says, whoever would be great among you must be your servant. Whoever would be first among you must be your slave. And then he points to himself. The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So that is the way that we act as future rulers and reigners of all of creation, is that we lay our lives down for others. We serve others. Um, We rule by becoming servants. It's so backwards from everything in this world, but this this is the way of the kingdom. We copy the Son of Man who came not to be served, but to serve. Um, That's why he is glorious. That's why he has authority, because he laid down his life as a ransom for many. 
If you want to be great in God's kingdom, you need to be a servant of all. And then we have these two blind men. And I the crowds are telling them, be quiet. <laughs> like they, Jesus doesn't have time for you, kind of. They're saying, Lord, have mercy on a son of David. And what's sweet is that the Lord does hear them and have his pity on them. The Lord does have mercy on them and he heals them. We can always cry out to the Lord to have mercy on us. And he does. He hears us even amid a big crowd, a lot of noise in our lives. When we call out to him and say, have mercy on us, he does hear us and he has pity on us and he is able um, to heal and to touch us and to um, change our lives. Let's talk about our memory verse for this week. We're in Hebrews 12 verse 1 this week. It says, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. So what's the race set before you? It's the race towards eternity, the race towards Jesus. And we are supposed to run it with endurance. We're supposed to lay aside weights and sin and just run towards Jesus. And we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. Well, who is that? In the chapter right before this, in Hebrews 11, um, the author lists all kinds of heroes of the faith. Um, we have Abraham and Moses and the people crossing the sea, Gideon, Barak, Samson, David, Samuel, all of these great heroes of the faith. Um, they are the great cloud of witnesses that surround us. Think about them like cheering us on as we run towards eternity. And we can lay aside our weights and our sin and run towards him. Let's read it one more time. Hebrews 12, 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. I'm so glad that you joined me. One of the ways that we run the race is that we study God's word. How will we know how to run or which direction to run if we don't read the guidebook that God has given us, his word? So I'm glad that you've joined me in reading the Bible and studying it together. A couple announcements. One is that I have a contest going on through the end of March. Share this show with three people and you can go, the link is in the description below. You can go and enter to win a hardcover ESV children's Bible. It's a beautiful Bible. You'll want to be the winner. So um, take part in that. And the other thing is that I'm happy to announce that this podcast is now available on Amazon Podcasts. Google Podcasts, and Apple Podcasts, as well as Spotify and on Anchor FM. So you can listen to it almost anywhere that anyone listens to podcasts, which is great news. All right, we'll see you next time.